With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC Talk Radio is always exciting. Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight for Evacania! I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Welcome, one and all, everybody, to HIAC Talk Radio. There's a new logo coming. This summer, this summer, we're rebranding. <laughs> we're not rebranding, but I'm in officially a in a in world, world <laughs> where people actually listen. Um, new logo coming out. Got the final approval and help from an old friend, and uh, we're going back to the red and black. <laughs> Greg Lagans is here. I am here, Bob Comedian. Derek McDonald will be joining us next week. So he tells me he will not be working next week. He is uh, busy on the streets of uh, Long Island, New York, <laughs> keeping the streets serviceable for the men and women and everybody that live there so they can get back and forth from their jobs to their homes to the vaccine clinic and back. I don't know why I sound so New Yorker there. I'll take that back. Long Island. Long Island. I say it like that on purpose. Ever since I heard Steve Morrison say it like that, I'm like, Long Island. Long Island. Long Island. That makes sense. <laughs> um, welcome, everybody. We have some things to talk about, and I'm very excited about the wrestling story because we kind of blew this guy a week or two ago, and I will virtually blow <laughs> this guy anytime we can because he's amazing. Based on one story alone and everything else. But uh, the first things first on the agenda, ladies first. Inducted into the 2021. WWE Hall of Fame is one Molly Holly. Now, I didn't think that Molly Holly would be such a controversial figure 
to be I'm surprised I'm speaking very well this week. I'm kind of scared. <laughs> uh, I I did not understand or realize that Molly High would be such a controversial figure, and I fucked it up. Um, going into the Hall of Fame made sense to me. One of the best wrestlers uh, that's ever come down the pike. Uh, and I tweeted earlier, and you liked it, which confirmed to me that I'm not off my Mm-mm. rocker. That in the, uh, I mean, factually in the darkness, that was WCW's women's wrestling in the late '90s when she came into World Championship Wrestling in '99 as Miss Madness. She had she had a segment on her own on Thunder. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't on Nitro. It was only she was only on Nitro to be. I mean, she's getting paid, so that doesn't matter. But she was there with uh, Team Madness. But on Thunder, nice little ten-minute segment broken up by a. Um, that was really silly there on that one. Broken <laughs> up by a commercial, and they would bring other wrestlers in to wrestle her, which was a nice change of pace. Because you mm-hmm. all know Bischoff thought women were just cheerleaders at the time. Discuss another discussion for another time. But in the darkness of WCW women's wrestling, there was Mona. She was the reason Sherry Martell came back in '99. She got a wrestling match. Uh, Sherry Martell got another appearance later on, but. That was the first time she was back in the ring. Uh, and she was amazing. Just wrestled without shoes on, which is the first time as a kid that it, I, like, there was Stuka, there mm-hmm. was Kevin Von Erich, there was Miss Molly, or Mo, uh, there was Miss Badness, or Mona. She was also right. Mona. Mm-hmm. First time it occurred to me, like, oh, man, she's not wearing shoes. <laughs> she can't do that. Uh, and, of course, um, her WWE run, not as people remember Mighty Molly, but she's the WWF Women's Champion. Um, she was there for years, holding down the fort. She's one of the best women's wrestler that ever stepped foot in the ring. Of course, yes, she's a Hall of Famer because she's a great wrestler. She's an amazing wrestler. Mm-hmm. Also, a former Hardcore Champion. Oh, that's right, former Hardcore Champion. Got the name mm-hmm. Molly Hollywood because she was with. Uh, uh, Crash and Crash Bob. Holly, Crash and Bob. They were the Hollies for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, God, she had a uh, 15 years on and off TV. For yeah. Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. Why? I just saw somebody say, "Well, why is she on the Hall of Fame?" And of course, your point was made. The point was made before you got a chance <laughs> to make the point where uh, anybody all the Hall of Fame criteria better than Coco Beware. <laughs> Yes, if you're Coco Beware or that, that equivalent, you'll be along in the Hall of Fame. With, with Molly Holly, though, um, and uh, she's going in under that name, even though she's had many different ring names in her career, um, she belongs in uh, that Hall of Fame just because she's part of that class of women wrestlers that dis- that detached themselves from the men and became main event superstars whether they got the main event or not, but Molly Holly was in the Trish Stratus, Lita, Miss Jacqueline, uh, Victoria, Ivy uh, class that put women's wrestling in the WWF and made the WWF Women's Championship a significant title and a big deal. You know, deal. not stable. Yeah. But you notice how all, the, all those women that I mentioned are in the – in the Hall of Fame, and as as arbitrary as the Hall of Fame is, and as much crap as we give it, and for and for good reason, if you're going to put those women that I mentioned, Trish, Lita, uh, Miss Jacqueline, uh, Victoria, Ivy, Molly's right there with them. 
it was her matches with all those women that made the WWF women's division what it was. And there would, without her, there would be no Charlotte, Becky, Bailey, Sasha. I mean, who do you think they were watching when they were wrestling fans growing up? It was Molly, and it was Trish and Lita and all those. So she belonged there. You're going to put Trish, uh, Lita, and that whole class of that era, of the Attitude Era, Molly Holly was just as big a factor as all those women. So if if they're in, she's in. People that don't have a problem, that have a problem with it, um, you can have a problem with her gimmick. Um, and that's fine, but as far as... Products of the times, weird yeah. weird attitude error, crap gimmicks, yeah. you know. But as far as her ability and uh, what she brought to the table, and going from the WCW as a women's wrestler to the WWE, that, I mean, we're so used to the WWE wrestlers going to WCW. She did it the other way. And uh, the WWE did not, weren't in the business of taking anyone from WCW, if it, even if... If they did, it was for maybe just for the intent purpose of, of burying them at some point. Because everyone who came from WCW, especially then to the WWE, did not have an easy road. Jericho, Booker T, Rey Mysterio didn't come in as main event wrestlers. They had to pay their dues really badly. Um, and Molly was no, it was paid that price too, just for having that WCW uh, stink on her, for lack of a better word. But yeah, she correct though. She made her own path because she is that damn good. And the other wrestler with half of her talent would not have made it as far as she did. So Molly Holly is a sure fire, sure bet Hall of Fame wrestler. And there shouldn't be no discrepancy or any type of controversy of her being voted, especially not her being the first one voted in and I was no. Really, really proud of her, and the, and the message has gone viral of, of Hurricane giving her the news. Oh, that was cool. That was cool. I I didn't yeah. expect that, and she he could barely get it out, and then yeah. she tried to keep it, and then she lost it. It was very, <laughs> it was a it, very cool. It was a great moment. Yeah. I'm just I surprised, completely surprised. Yeah. Did not expect it. I I purposely stay away from the uh, the. Uh, 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 dirt sheets. I couldn't think of it. Yeah. Second, mm-hmm. so I had no inclination or no warning that she was going in. So I read that yeah. story. And I'm like that made my day. You know, it validates mm-hmm. my WCW fandom. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, yeah. The only other, co- I just thought it was funny. It was all positive. I just wanted to. Yeah. Think. <laughs> There's not one person except for the one which mm-hmm. I thought was funny, the only attention yeah. I'm bringing on to it. The only other comment I thought that was weird, and I'm only bringing it up because it was like, everybody was like, what are you, what? Is the guy that said, why is it Sid in? Why is she in first? And I replied, doesn't he have softball to play that time? Yeah, he probably couldn't make the ceremony. He made it. So. Nah, I got yeah. softball. <laughs> no, yeah. but Molly Holly, Mona, Miss Madness, absolutely a shoe-in for Hall of Fame. And I'm very, very thrilled. I, 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 I vivid memories of meeting so, oh, Mona's wrestling. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Can't wait. Mm-hmm. Now, look, oh, look, diversity. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, that was a very excited. Um, I experienced a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say complete gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. 
by wrestling fans this weekend. But I was upset because it was announced that the full WWE library won't be ported over to Peacock until August. Okay. That means mostly if what you and I watch was the old stuff, which yeah. is fine. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, yeah, sure, give them a pass. They had, the billion-dollar company did not have this ready-to-go kind of pisses me off. But um, I just think it's interesting that it was not prepared once it was I, – I just – I find it hard to believe these big corporations, NHL, NBA, we already talked about that off air. Uh, <laughs> Adam Silver can go fucking stuff. Um, and if I, they can't figure out the digital age. It takes them so friggin' long. We'll get into it now. It'll be on the next Obey the Puck, so in two weeks, mm-hmm. uh, the SPN NHL deal and all the cluster effery that's going to be because NHL TV is now gone. That, uh, for better or for worse, because the network's not changing anywhere else in the world. No. Canada, Europe, everybody who has access to network stays as a separate app. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it brings up another thing that Dean said to me, because – I said, like, oh, that sucks, and it kind of pisses me off, but then I moved on, but everybody was like, oh, I'm an apologist. I'm like, I don't know, I'm just saying, it should be fucking ready. Like, I don't know why that's – I don't ask for much. I've been paying for this since day one. I haven't asked for anything. I've been patient. <laughs> I, you, you're resetting me here. You're like the state of Virginia with the vaccine rollout. You did it by counties. Then you started over a month later and did it by state, and we're all back to square one and haven't gotten the vaccines yet, you incompetent pieces of crap. So I I just thought it was interesting because I, I did say, you know, paint since day one. I haven't asked for anything. Can I have my shit, please? <laughs> and Dean was like, what has loyalty ever given you every, anything in wrestling? And I was like, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, yeah, everything that we ever wanted, the, the network is not going to be there until August, which is fine. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, I just thought it was interesting. I was like, "Listen, I'm not harping on it. I'm harping mm-hmm. on it now because of the reaction." Yeah. I was like, "Yeah, I'm sorry, I asked. Fuck, love <laughs> that. Sorry, I didn't know it was such a problem for you." Yeah, I didn't know that. That's hard to believe either. I mean, obviously, we're used to waiting. We, you know, we've we've only lived with the WWE network for only a certain amount of time, yeah. so having to wait, you know, five months is. It's, I just thought they would have been a little more prepared for the transition. It's already going to be weird enough to, you know, I, I'm going off that chronological list. Mm-hmm. That's worthless now. So yeah. but <laughs> I'm going to go off by name only, and, and I'd have to manually find everything. Yeah. Not complaining. I'm just like, okay, so that's I can figure that out and make a watch list if that's possible. So I got that figured out. But then I was mm-hmm. like, okay, that's not going to be there till August. I was like, well, shit. <laughs> no. No. How dare you. Can't figure out the digital age, I guess. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to get that off my chest. Phew. I, I I I barely mentioned it, and I, I I got made feel bad about it. I was like, I only I just okay. <laughs> what I do not feel bad about. Yes. Making fun of all elite wrestling this past week. No. Uh, if you had heard anything about what happened in all elite wrestling. Making fun of it is pretty much a prerequisite of this um, mercy flush of a uh, pay-per-view. And, and, and here's the thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a bad pay-per-view. It wasn't bad. It, 
The worst okay. ever? Ever, ever? No. The worst wrestling pay-per-view ever? I can think of five right now that are worse. Okay. Um, <laughs> a couple of Halloween Havocs, that Legends of Wrestling mm-hmm. pay-per-view, the WCW, WWF one here and there. It's not the worst. I was, I, I was supposed I guess, to answer that. Yeah. I, well, I guess people are, you know, are, are calling it the worst because the, um, cause the pay-per-views we remember, Dan, you know, you had an 8 to 11 window, and that was it. This one went on for four hours. That is true. And it's four and a half hours. Well, uh, to add on to what you were saying, what somebody pointed out was, mm-hmm. you can have a great pay-per-view, but like Halloween Havoc 98, it's not yeah. a bad pay-per-view, but what does everybody remember? That yes. freaking main event, that, that the last thing anybody saw on the net on, on, on pay-per-view before it shut down was that abomination of Warrior and Hogan. Okay, right. Which ruined the whole thing. And it's not true because that last match is also a classic WCW match. Mm-hmm. Goldberg DDP, and yeah. and that's the thing that pay per view was fine, mm-hmm. but anybody all anybody's gonna remember is them pushing this Japanese death match <laughs> for weeks, for weeks on the show and on Twitter, and having it be worse than a Nitro intro from two thousand one. That's how bad yeah, it was. That's, yeah, that's I'm bad. sorry, All Elite Wrestling, AEW lack of dynamite. That was a botch. Yeah. Uh, To many, the whole thing was a botch going from the opening (laughs) bout. I mean, you set up your tag team uh, bout, the the revenge tag team bout. Uh, These guys just uh, beat up the reigning tag team champion's father. They made him bleed. And um, then they then they went about. So so that feud's over now, I guess. I guess. Uh, you could have dragged that out, uh, but and you know we're not gonna. I lost count of the number of super kicks it takes to put one person down. And young bucks matches are all the same. Oh, quick aside. Sorry, AEW. Um, the person that's with Miro, whose name I forget, Kip Sabian. Is wearing a Joel Embiid jersey. Okay, that and has to be said. Yes, everything all the right with the world. Right. Everything I was about to say, I was about to trash AEW back to the Stone Age, but you know what? Joel Embiid. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Chuck Taylor. I apologize. Chuck, Chuck Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Chuck Taylor. How did you never get Chuck Taylor? Name after Chuck- shoe. Yeah, it's easy to forget when they <laughs> are pretty much interchangeable people. But yes, Chuck Taylor is wearing a Joel Embiid. Uh, Jersey, that notwithstanding, uh, I can't the, see your face anymore, please, sir. Sorry, would that not? I'm just enraptured by this uh-huh. because seeing it on someone other than Joel Embiid is crazy. The reigning or the soon-to-be MVP of the NBA, ladies uh-huh. and gentlemen, soon to be world champion. I'll say, soon to be world champion. Um, but uh, AEW deserves all the criticism it it's getting for this sham of a pay-per-view. Um, yeah. As we bury Horowitz our way through this, um, the I, the they took a page out of the WWE's book for, by having a a uh, a TV show match. I don't even know what to call it. The one with Sting and um, Ricky Starks and showing them driving to this lo- this on uh, this um, parts unknown warehouse, warehouse that, yeah. that has a wrestling ring in it, and to have the announcers. Why you would need all announcers? Including Taz, whose men are in this 
fight, call the match as if it were alive, when it's obviously not. So I guess we are, are we are idiots. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to. Suspend uh, just for the sake now, and I don't care because I know I'll get attacked by um, if anybody who is uh, a AEW. <clears throat> I don't want to use disrespectful words. I know I'm going to get heat for this if anybody uh, worth the damn hears it. There's too many announcers. I jokingly yeah. said it last week. I'm saying it now. There's too goddamn many announcers. It sounds like garbage. I wasn't, and, I, and you weren't, I wasn't even joking when we talked about Big Show joining it what, well, as an announcer. I, I wasn't joking, but I was being silly about it. I'm yeah. deadly serious. There's too friggin' much. There is too friggin' much. And the thing about what AEW is doing by adding all these people, by adding more announcers, by adding um, more WWE cast-offs, the, you know, the debut of Christian Cage and all that, they're... They, they're not not that they should, but what they're not doing is they're not getting rid of everyone. They're keeping everyone. No one has been taken off of the AEW roster. They just keep adding more and more and more, and you don't have enough spots for the people you do. And especially if you're going to keep on having 25-minute matches between your main event guys and your jobber guys on Wednesday night every night, how are you how are you supposed to get the new people that you want pushed, the people that should be pushed, how are they going to get any spots? How, when FTR, the best tag team in North America today, has wrestled twice this year alone on network TV? Why is that? Why am I seeing more of the, the Dark Order than I am of FTR? I, I better see all of these. Every single one of these roster spots better be in this goddamn video game. That's all I'm saying. If you sign all these names, I want them all on there. All of them. Uh, Yeah. What made it worse was uh, Eddie, it was Kingston selling it so hard. Like he was dead. It it was bad. Now, what made it worse is that Tony Khan was prefaced this. Mm-hmm. If you're using footage of a company that owns a million billion dollar company that owns that footage and mm-hmm. owns the right to take that footage down, you don't have a say in the matter. Mm-hmm. First of all, this is not damn the man. They put a budget and put money into producing a product and you're stealing that footage and using it on Twitter. You can't do that. It's been a rule for a long time. That being said, mm-hmm. Tony Khan was sending out Tony Khan and the AEW were sending out cease and desist and copyright strikes to everybody who used the footage of the pay-per-view. As many people as possible. Not helping. (laughs) It's not helping your cause. Uh, Ignoring it and walking away will absolutely help in this situation. Addressing it and going on and on about it, not helping. I do, like I said, the copyright thing, there's no question. You don't own the footage. That's, that's, you're an idiot if you're upset about, I can't believe they copyright. It's theirs. They own it. Sorry. <laughs> I got nailed. I, I made a 10 second video of Rusev in the tank at WrestleMania set to yeah. Sarah McLaughlin's, uh, I will remember you. Mm-hmm. Six months later, I got a copyright strike. Wow. And I was like, I mean, I, not my, I, well, I, duh! <laughs> I can't. I can't be angry about it. It's not my footage. So, Mm-mm. yeah, it was. It was not good. No, I, I am 
Yes. I am happy for Christian. Because? I want to see more of him, but here is the problem. Mm -hmm. To add on to what you said, I want to bring up something CM Punk said on Twitter. Yeah. Which just validates everything we've been talking about for months, for years since the show's been up. Since AEW Dynamite started. CM Punk did a Q&A on Twitter and said, Doing a Q&A, ask me anything, and no, I am not the guy. Referring to the yeah. Hall of Famer that signed yeah. with AEW. Right. Somebody asked him, well, who do you want it to see? And his reply was, I want to see them use who they have. Yeah. None of you, none of the guys that you've signed, not Jake, not Tully, not Sting, not DDP, guys that I love and I like seeing. Mm-hmm. Has bumped your popped your ratings above a million. No, Chris ain't gonna do it either. <laughs> Not and, and, and neither is Paul White. No, and neither is Paul White. And I love both those guys. Big marks yeah. of all of them. Biggest thing mark in the room. Not popping the rating. It's it's weird because I like again I like seeing Chris. I, I love Christian Cage. Yeah, love seeing him there. At the same time, I'm like, but <laughs> wait. I, I, Constant, constant. It's just they're doing the WCW thing. Yeah, and almost they're they're pretty much doing the TNA thing either. So we're just going to get as many. Well, w- yeah, they're doing w- both. W- that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that doesn't bode well for them. And no. especially, um, just the you you went viral for the wrong reasons because if you're going to promote an exploding death match and then the there and the explosion is akin to a Gilberg entrance, then you're going to get heat, and rightfully so, and we're going to make fun of you, and rightfully so. And you're left, you leave your wrestlers hang, holding the bag at the end. Um, how is that helping your, your product and getting more people to want to see it? And especially with guys like Kenny Omega and Young Bucks, every match of theirs is the same. They're superhuman. They kick out of everything. It's like spot, 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 kick out, spot, 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 kick out, spot, 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 kick out, and then they go over in the end. So, it, I, again, I've if you've seen one Kenny Young Bucks match, you've seen them all. Nothing about that has changed. You want to move the dial? Maybe have something mean something. Maybe have a finishing maneuver. Or use any of the twenty people, men and women that you signed. Yes. In the last year, do anything else. Exactly. <laughs> At all. Or use the guys that you know to put over the new, the people that you already have. Just a thought. Which brings me to my last thought before this story in mm-hmm. indie wrestling. Yes. I'm going to keep this as on the level as possible without slandering. Except Joey Ryan, fuck him. Um, <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah, no, I actually don't. Never mind. Bad no, idea. That's been been there, done that. Yeah. Um, and it's not even about them like that per se. They're mm-hmm. ter- these two people are kind of terrible. We've established that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but indie wrestling tried to bring back Joey Ryan, and then indie wrestling tried to bring back DJ High, mm. and. Without focusing on them, because that story is done. And what did Joey Ryan and DJ Hyde do? Uh, look it up, dude. Yeah. We're not here to educate well, you. Well, I'm not here to educate you anymore. 
100 times. What does Sammy Callahan do? I'm tired of telling you. Yeah. Tells you 100 times you'll do nothing about it. We're moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, I genuinely believe, and it sucks because we're going to have a – I'm going to try to get Lolo and Butch uh, and uh, Billy Dixon on about Butch versus Gore. Okay. Which is literally people who are trying to fix indie wrestling. Um, may not be your brand of wrestling, but they're doing something different and exciting. And it's going to air on the uh, independent wrestling TV. I'm very happy about it. I need to get them on here. Do you do an interview? Um, I don't think indie wrestling can be fixed. No? I think it's terrible. I, I just think it's going to be terrible. There's great indie wrestling. I'm not talking about the product. I'm not talking about the, the talent that are actually trying to make a difference and make it better. Mm-hmm. There's too many terrible people that are allowed to still be terrible, and nobody's doing anything about it. Speaking out was, in my mind, and I talked to somebody about it off air that did not want to discuss it live, Mm -hmm. and I will respect – of course I will respect her wishes, somebody I respect and love very much. Um. Unless you were directly connected to speaking out, or if it affected you directly or indirectly, then you were just, it was all lip service. You don't really care. You don't mm-hmm. care. You don't want to make a difference. You want to get a thing, just be alive for the Joker, go back to the things the way they were. Yes. <laughs> you don't care. You never did. A couple months ago, I alluded to, I don't think anybody cares. I know nobody cares. You have no intentions in making it better. Um, anybody who wants to something, it goes back to what I said, uh, Craig, about I like something this much. I want it to be better. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm saying these things. Don't complain. I'm not complaining. I want things better. Right. This is what I want it to be better. That makes me an angry person because I hate terrible people who do terrible things to other people and they're allowed to thrive and keep doing these terrible things to people in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Then I'm an angry person. That's fine. Uh, they need to go. Um, both of them came back without an apology. One of them is doing the exact opposite and making those people that spoke out against him lives a living hell. Yeah. The other just went, eh, and is allowed to do it every once. Um, I've lost all hope for recovery for indie wrestling because they tried to sneak it in there. Yeah. And they're going to get away with it. Joy, uh, Probably not, Ryan. Ryan probably Ryan's career is over. He He's done. That. They tried. Yeah. They put him yeah. on the poster. People were like, "Whoa!" Mm-hmm. But Sam McCallahan, other other names, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Nobody mm-hmm. cares. Nobody really cares. It's just like anything else. Until something affects you, no. you you What's have the, the yeah you do this mm-hmm. or somebody who doesn't. It's okay that you're late, Danny. You you're not obligated to be here. Um, thank you for coming. Thank you, Dan. Um, the same thing with anything else. Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. homeless, yeah. our former administration, the government in general. It's easy to turn a blind eye when it's not affecting you and it doesn't care. And anybody who does care about somebody else or does suggest or want or try to strive to make a difference mm-hmm. is ostracized by those people as being angry, bitter, or disgusting when really the bitter and angry disgusting people are the people who decide to do nothing. Yeah. And until that changes, indie wrestling is a garbage fire that will never be put out. 
That's just my opinion piece. Defy somebody to tell me wrong. And I'll work hand in hand with you to discuss why, and we can work hand in hand together to make it better. Uh, I can't wait till DC wrestle, wrestling comes back. Not a question of if, it's a question of when. when. And I am so excited to still be part. Because after speaking out did hit me. It, it, was it indirectly or directly? Because mm-hmm. it wasn't me personally, but it was it was directly. Uh, technically, it's indirectly. <laughs> it affected the house, the home. Mm-hmm. It affected prime time. Somebody that I respect and admire was dealing with shit that we were not aware of by somebody that I respected and admired. And all this stuff came out. And it for months there, you know, on top of coronavirus, it all came tumbling down. I was like, I don't think I ever want to do this again. And I'm ready to do it again. Whatever capacity, at the bottom of the totem or closer to the top, I don't really care. I love these people that are working and I will work and do whatever I can for them to help them succeed and, and to ensure it succeeds. Yeah. I cannot wait until this time next year will be completely different. It may yeah. not be a hundred percent, but we right. will be it will be miles away from where we where are, we are right exactly. where we are right now. And even at the end of the year we will be a couple miles away from where we are. And I can't wait for everybody to see it. Please be on the lookout for Butch versus Gore. One of the things that is helping trying to change the big, huge tire fire in Port Richmond of independent wrestling. <laughs> I threw that re- reference out for you. Remember that big fire in Port Richmond? Yeah. Richmond years ago? Was it ninety yeah. late 90s? Mid, late 90s? Yeah. Right covered near the, the yeah. Covered, yeah, covered 95. Yeah, right. I, I automatically thought about the Springfield tire fire that's still burning. Well, that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the big Centralia underground fire that is independent wrestling. Yes. I did acknowledge there were good people trying good things, correct? Yes, you did. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that I was like, yeah, that I differentiated them two. No, and and I know that's what makes you so sad because you know the good people that are. It makes me angry. I'm so angry, (laughs) Greg. Well, you want change. No wonder you're angry. You 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 don't want things. I'll force this change with my fist, man. No, but I, of course, and I and, and I and I feel your pain because you've worked you you're part of the indie wrestling scene, you know, from your days of being for being a wrestling fan. So you know how good it is. You know how good people work. You know and how good it can the, be. How good it can be. How good it was. Um, but your fear is that it may never be good again because of the amount of bad people that are still being allowed to be associated with this. It was so slick, man. The 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 Ryan thing was so slick. Yeah, he yeah, tried to pull a little. They did. Yeah, the little all the posters like, yeah, cool, 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 cool. Wait a minute. Yeah, maybe no one will notice if I just stick it in here. <laughs> that's 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 his problem. Yeah, and even for the even that show itself being a benefit for women, that's what made it so appalling. If you're talking about who I think you're talking about, it was a shock and a half. Was it though? Nah. Was it a shock? Is it? Yeah, I mean, was it? He, he telegraphed that he was going to try. Yeah. He found Jeebus. <laughs> he found Jesus. It, it always takes me back to that Dennis Leary bit, which I'm assuming he adapted from a Bill Hicks bit. Hey, um, but which <laughs> guy is just an alcoholic, abusive prick. 
gets arrested, goes to rehab, comes, finds Jesus, comes out and goes, sorry. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. The, the problem with those two particular things, well, and mm. the one that I also mentioned off the side is there was no apology. No. It was business as usual. Yeah, there's, there's no remorse. There's and, no... And it shouldn't be. Recanting. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. Yeah. With that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody, it is time for Craig to take over. <laughs> Um, good evening, ladies and germs, um, and all the shit that's see. Uh, I'm going to do a little uh, uh, variance on uh, the wrestling historian today. First of all, thank you, uh, everyone, for uh, joining us here today at HIAC Talk Radio. As you can tell by the incredible graphics, we're spending no, um, no, we're spending no expense on making these incredible graphics that you see before you, CGI. I'm certainly not getting paid. That, uh, I'm going to waive my salary just for this segment right okay. here. Double zero is still zero. <laughs> so uh, we're going to go back in time. We're going to talk about some uh, significant things that happened in this glorious history that is uh, professional wrestling, back when there was no social distancing, no masks. There was wrestling in all 50 states, impact arenas, stadiums, high school gymnasiums, National Guard armories, coliseums uh, that all made fans cheer, jump up, throw babies in the air, and the overwhelming joy that it gave to all of us because this was an all-year-round sport that we loved. On major holidays, weekends, every day of the week, there was wrestling somewhere in the United States, and we're going to celebrate it here on this special day, this gentlemen and ladies, is the wrestling historian. The reason I'm going to do something different was because um, I noticed something last night on my DVR set up for series recordings for new episodes. Uh, and so last night before I went to bed, I noticed that there was an episode, a new episode of Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, but this is a special edition. This is a, another hour tacked on. So they talked to the creators and executive producers of Dark Side of the Ring, and they they have new footage of each episode. So there's new episodes coming out every Tuesday night, apparently. With basically a special edition footage. of season two and, and one. Exactly. Huh? Well, last night was the um, extended version of the mysterious death of Gino Hernandez. <laughs> and Gino, obviously, um, I've talked about on this podcast many times. He's, if we're talking about, obviously, being a wrestling fan is very hard, uh, if, especially for people like for me and Dan or for just being a wrestling fan in general because we lost so many great young men and women uh, being a fan. Uh, and Gino Hernandez has always been on my number one of, of people that uh, I thought had the most. I put him over above David Von Erich, above Jay Youngblood of, of people that could have been one of the all-time great greatest because he had everything and he did it very young. Uh, Dino Hernandez left us before he was even 30 years old and he had already accomplished so much in his brief career. He was on top everywhere he went starting when he was at 19 years old. And so the, the, the subject, of course, was the, the death of Gino because he was found dead and he had been dead for a number of days 
uh, for those of you who don't know, just Google Gino Hernandez, uh, the handsome half-breed, amazing look, one of the greatest young heels ever. Uh, in, in Texas, he spent most of the heat. He wrestled in Madison Square Garden when he was only 20. Uh, he was the United States champion in the Sheik's territory in Detroit when he was barely 19. Uh, the, the kid had everything, checked all the boxes. I said on this, he could have been a horseman. He could have been the million-dollar man easily. He could have been the WWF superstar. At any point, he what, what Shawn Michaels is now, Gina Hernandez could have been light years ahead. Um, and Sean, and Gina was someone that Sean grew up watching since they're both from Texas. Well, we found out um, not only about the the the, the new um, circumstances among part of his death, even Baby Doll joined uh, chimed in. Oh wow! Uh, what she thought because when she saw the episode and they they showed for the first time the police photos from where they found Gina's body, and she noticed a uh, pack of cigarettes, which I never saw before when I saw the episode, but she saw it, and she said Gino didn't smoke. He hated smoking, and if, and if anything else, he hated people who did smoke. So whosever cigarettes those were, um, that's who would have a hand in his death. But probably the most fascinating thing was we talked to Gino's mom, and Gino's mom, Gino's ex-wife, Gino's daughters are all still with us, but Gino's mom talked about um, when she met uh, Jimmy Snuka, when J- Jimmy and and Gina were both wrestling in, for Paul Bosch in Houston, uh, and because Jimmy was uh, really and he he would call Jimmy Snuka would call his mom, and well he started dating Gino's mom, and Gino's mom got to talk to Jimmy Snuka's mom, so Gino's Jimmy Snuka's mom flew to Texas to watch them wrestle. And Gino Hernandez's mom and Jimmy Snuka's mom got really close. And come to find out, Gino Hernandez's mom took a liking to uh, – I'm sorry, Jimmy Snuka's mom took a liking to Gino Hernandez's mom's ex-husband. So they got married. So Jimmy Snuka's mom was married to Gino Hernandez's stepfather. And Gina Hernandez's mom, she says, was married to Jimmy Snuka for 10 years. And that she didn't, she lost contact with him until she saw him on the news for the murder of the young woman in Allentown. She had no idea about any of this. She had nothing but great things to say about Jimmy Snuka. No bad things. He was a lovely man. He was always so nice and so polite. So I don't know what Jimmy Snuka she married for 10 years, but Gina Hernandez's mom was married to Jimmy Snuka for uh, a good 10 years. And <laughs> it's so after, yes, it's so crazy. So crazy. But that, uh, so if you're, if you're listening to this, uh, if you're fans of Dark Side of the Ring, new episodes uh, every Tuesday. Um, I think next week they're going to do the Screwjob in Montreal, and they're going to talk to – they're going to add some added footage in there and never-before-seen stuff, stuff that wasn't in the original. <laughs> Can we ignore Scott Hall saying, yeah, it's a work? 
Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> you take that out. Well, in the even tra- in the in the uh, in the tr- in the trailer, Dan, for the previews for next week's episode, they said, "What do you say to the people that said that Brett was in on it the whole time?" I was like, "Oh my God, are you serious?" Yeah, I so. can't roll my eyes any harder than <laughs> I am right now. Yeah. So new episodes yeah. of Outside the Ring. Yeah, Brett's. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. There. All the yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all part of his master, all part of his master plan. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a master of yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to put that part out because we we're dealing with uh, wrestling history, and uh, Gina Hernandez is a big part of wrestling history. But I wanted to concentrate on this day in professional wrestling history, Dan. Uh, it's March tenth, uh, nineteen eighty four. Uh, our March 10, 1984, uh, on Mid South TV, Saturday afternoon, they aired um, the Mid South TV show. On this particular Saturday afternoon, uh, the tag team uh, featured on Mid South uh, Wrestling that Saturday afternoon, uh, the tag team of Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton, managed by Jim Cornette took on the tag team of Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton, the Rock and Roll Express, for the very first time. Oh, wow. Okay. March 10th, 1984 was the first time they ever wrestled. Now, that's when it aired. They originally, for the first time they ever wrestled was February 29th, 1984. Very important date. But it aired on this date, March 10th, 1984. And that would start the greatest rivalry in tag team wrestling history. There, that went through five different territories in four different decades. The Rock and Roll Express versus the Midnight Express feud that started in the Mid South, went to the NWA, to the WCW, to Smoky Mountain, and if you're Jim Cornette. Your feud with the Midnight, Ex- your feud with the Rock and Roll Express went from started in the Mid South today, 1984, but went through the Mid South, NWA, WCW, Smoky Mountain, and the WWF. Because after the the, the Midnight Express broke up, he managed the Heavenly Bodies versus Stan Lane and Tom Pritchard, and then Jimmy Del Rey and Tom Pritchard uh, to feud with the Rock and Roll Express. So, five decades. So the first time the Rock and Roll Express faced the Midnight Express is March 10th, 1984, and their last match was July of 2011. Four decades. Five different wrestling organizations and the greatest feud in tag team wrestling history. I can't believe we have to see the same match we saw last week on Raw again. Why? I need something new right now. <laughs> if the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express was the only bat on the card, I would go. Yes, every time. Every time. And when they came to Philadelphia, one yes. of their, yes, the first time the Midnight Express ever won the NWA Tag Team title was right here, Philadelphia. When the Midnight Express became the first tag team to ever when the United be the United States Tag Team Champions and the NWA Tag Team Champions, they defeated Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson right here in Philadelphia. Good fuck them. 
And <laughs> <laughs> what would be Tully and Arn's last match ever in the NWA as a tag team. But uh, Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll Express, their first time ever we saw them in the rain together was today, March 10th, 1984. Starting the greatest tag team feud of all time. Prove Craig wrong. <laughs> Please, I'm begging you. Educate uh, the man who is the educator. <laughs> the amount of houses they drew uh, selling out to Superdome, Charlotte Coliseum, like I said, right here in Philly, the Civic Center. And the scaffold matches, this matches at Starcade, uh, the Mid-South Coliseum, Los Angeles, Baltimore Civic Arena. Uh, somebody did a uh, an interview with the, uh, the, the Young Bucks for some reason. They asked them who was their best tag team, who was their favorite tag team, and of course they said the Hardy Boys. And they said the Hardy Boys are also the, the biggest box office tag team of all time, which obviously proves they're delusional because taking nothing away from the Hardy Boys, they weren't even the biggest draw, drawing tag team of their era. You know, that, and if you take away the Dudley Boys or even Edge and Christian, but as far as box office tag teams, there's the Road Warriors the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express. And if we're just talking 80s, obviously of all time, you could go Rock and Perez and the Grand Brothers or the Fargos. But no, the Hardy Boys don't even crack the top 20 of most or biggest box office teams because in that top five and top ten would be the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express. So they say, I used to not understand the resentment people have for the young bucks, but the more I watch them, the more I understand. Well, see, I re- you, right. can re- you, you can read them just for their politics alone. Um, just for being, uh, you know, part of the, they were, you know, they were part of the birther conspiracy and they, uh, you know, don't believe in, uh, abortion and all that other stuff. Uh, and if you heard any of their, any of their tweets or they're easy enough to hate just because of their, their political views. But I hate them strictly for their wrestling ability or non wrestling ability. And I understand why they they love the Hardy Boys because they they emulate them. They grew up, you know, watching them. They're both from the same place. But the Hardy Boys had talent and they had size. Two things that the Young Bucks lack, uh, especially that I see, you know, week in and week out with uh, with the Young Bucks. Um, but uh, and they not only should not be compared to the Hardy Boys, but when it comes to tag teams and box office tag teams, um, they're not even in the same class as either the Midnight Express or the Rock and Roll Express. That's had their first match thirty seven years ago today on T V. Wow. Yeah. And their last match, July of two thousand eleven. That's a feud. That's that's a feud that's never gonna happen again, folks. You're never gonna see it two two tag teams cross over four different decades with the same members, or if if not just one change, and see that that's those same tag teams go through every different set through five different organizations across the country. No, it's impossible. Absolutely, literally and, impossible. Yeah. Yes, yes. So 
when it rocks. So as much as I go on and on about the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express, uh, it's for good reason because they are trendsetters. Uh, I'm still holding out hope. We're talking about the Hall of Fame. If the Rock and Roll Express is in, uh, you, you honestly can't talk about the Rock and Roll Express without mentioning the Midnight Express. It's trying to, like, if, if you're going to do a history of Muhammad Ali, how can you not mention Joe Frazier? If you're going to do a history of Phil Collins, how can you not mention Genesis? You can't have one without the other. I don't um, know what you mean, Craig. <laughs> I'm saying they're intertwined. So the rock, what made the Rock and Roll Express so great, not only with their ability, but the quality of opponents. And you cannot mention the Rock and Roll Express without mentioning the Midnight Express. Like mentioning the, the Free Birds without mentioning Devon Eriks. Or mentioning the Rock without mentioning Stone Cold. They're linked. If I make it to the twilight of my life, mm-hmm. or if I know my end is coming, and I am going to die knowing that Bobby Eaton's not in the Hall of Fame, I'm going to be upset. Yeah. As I'm, as okay. I'm, That's bullshit. Yeah, and we can debate the merits of the, of the, the Hall of Fame and who deserves to be in it. How and we, we have. Know. And it's completely arbitrary, and, sure. and we know this. But uh, but <laughs> at the same time, if you have two eyes and two ears, then you would understand that Bobby Eaton, uh, more than anyone, just about more than anyone, um, save for maybe Ray Stevens, uh, deserves to be in the uh, any wrestling Hall of Fame. Mind you, we don't need him to do a speech. No. Because understanding Bobby is really difficult. Yes. Uh but it still needs to happen. <laughs> yes, just for the man's legacy and the man's work alone. Uh, Steve Austin uh, he has said on many occasions when he, uh, on his own, and his own podcast, when he was given his first singles push in WCW, and when he was told he was going to win the, w, the uh, WCW World Television Championship uh, over Bobby Eaton, he was incredulous. He said, I, and he said this on his own podcast. I couldn't carry that guy's jock. And you want me to, to win the title from him? He he understood the respect. I, I disagree. I think Steve was that good. But I most agree. People, most people just remember Steve Austin. A lot of people who are not hardcore wrestling fans know Steve Austin after the neck injury and saw him, mm-hmm. I mean, still working incredible matches at 80%. Yeah. But when that dude was 100%. I no. put him up with anybody. Oh yeah, anybody. you couldn't you couldn't touch him. Anybody, and you couldn't touch him, um, and especially not in in his prime. And this, the stunning. I've always said the stunning Steve Austin is my favorite Steve Austin. The the one with the Jeff Wind baby tights, the the short hair. I understand how you mean that. A lot of people won't get it. Yeah, I get it. But he saw Bobby Eaton as a guy he couldn't carry his jock. He saw Bobby Eaton as as. And you he, he have to remember how Steve Austin's group, And why would you? Yeah. That's disgusting. <laughs> but Bobby Eaton was main eventing Tennessee matches when he was 19. He is uh, so good. I just, yes. I can't, <laughs> I can't. Nobody uh, can't understate yes. how good Bobby Eaton was. And if you get a highlight reel of Bobby Eaton, you saw the amount of times he jumped off the top rope onto people with his legs, with his elbows, with his knees on top of people. The rocket launcher was – and he did this every night, folks. 
every night in seven different towns and twice on Sundays against really hard mats and really strong steel cables on the ropes. And he never injured one single wrestler, ever. Uh, when Austin said he couldn't carry Bobby Eaton's jock, as great as Austin was back then, I believe him. Because if you told anyone at that point in his career you got to be Bobby Eaton, you... I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but um, he, he still credits Bobby Eaton as uh, the guy that gave, uh, put him over, gave him his first win, and kind of started his, uh, his career. But Bobby Eaton, one half of the Midnight Express, my favorite... Uh, my favorite tag team in the room, the greatest tag team I've ever seen, uh, the Midnight Express, uh, bar none. But, yes, I echo your statements, Dan. If I'm on my deathbed and Bobby Eaton is not in the Hall of Fame, I refuse to go. And I'll probably – Vince will probably outlive me. I'll crawl my dead, dying body to his house <laughs> and go, you son of a bitch, bitch. Eaton! Bobby Eaton! <laughs> Just look up Amber. Uh, the other thing that happened on this date, as well, we celebrate the uh, the debut, the first bout between the uh, the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express on this date of March 10th, 1984. The Booker for during that period uh, was one Mr. Ernie Ladd, and it's unfortunate on also on this date in 2007. That we lost Ernie Ladd, uh, one of the greatest characters, uh, greatest men uh, to ever be associated with professional wrestling. Uh, he had a three-year battle with cancer. Uh, he held on as long as he could, uh, but we lost Ernie Ladd March 10th, 2007. But this is a guy that um, he was – what makes him so special because – he started his – this is one of the greatest football players to ever play. That's the thing. He, he was no slash – it wasn't – he was no slash football player like, oh, and then he went no. into wrestling. This is Ernie yeah. this is Ernie, Ladd. Ernie Ladd went to Grambling University, um, who was – he was coached by Eddie Marshall, who – Eddie Robinson, who would go on to be the winningest college coach in college football history. Okay, and he wrestled for Grambling, which was a uh, historical black college university. And he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. He was drafted in the first round. He was the first uh, first round pick of the AFL. This is back when the NFL and the AFL were two separate uh, leagues. He was drafted in the first round by the San Diego Chargers in 1961. And uh, he played for eight years. I'm not laughing at you. As a TM Spectre was saying, Ernie Ladd had some great promos, and he just quoted Andre the Dummy. Andre the Dummy, or <laughs> Wah, Wahoo the Drunken Indian. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to cut you off. Continue. That's it. But he played eight years in the NFL for three different teams, played for the Chargers, played for the Oilers, and played for the Chiefs. And he won the AF – he was part of the AFL championship team in 1963. So he played eight years – in the NFL before starting full-time in professional wrestling. Now, he was drafted in 1961, and what you did when you were a football player in the 60s, because the average football player back then made 
$29,000 a year playing football. So you to supplement your income, a lot of ref, a lot of football players, Dick DeBruiser, Wahoo McDaniel, um, Ed Francis, wrestled during the off season. And Ernie was doing that right after he got drafted. So he started wrestling in nineteen sixty one and even in nineteen sixty three after he won the his team won the ASL championship, he continued to wrestle uh until I mean, continue to uh, to play football and wrestle uh, for the next eight years until he turned pro full time in 1969. Now, this was a guy that was legit six foot nine, 315 pounds, and he was already one of the strongest people in football. But you take that football strength and that football background. And you transfer that into professional wrestling, and you have a toughness that was unmatched and unequaled. And you don't you you don't see six foot nine, three hundred and fifteen pound people in everyday life. You especially didn't see it in professional wrestling, and you particularly didn't see it in a six foot nine, three hundred and fifteen pound put together charismatic black man because not only did he look the way he looked and now I'm going to sound like right now I look the way I look and I walk the way I look well I walk the way I walk and I talk the way I talk nobody had that you put that together and Ernie Ladd not only did he take to wrestling because of his incredible athleticism uh, just from football because like Dan said a lot of football players became wrestlers but they weren't really good football players. They just played football, like Goldberg. He played football, wasn't a great football player. Brock Lesnar played football, wasn't a great football Not player. Not a good football player. Yes. Ernie Ladd played football and excelled at football. Ernie Ladd, like I said, is in the Collegiate Football Hall of Fame. You don't put defensive linemen in the Hall of Fame. Just to preface real quick, the inflation for a salary in the NFL that day is akin to $86,420 this year. So still peanuts. Yes. Just wanted to put that out there for everybody. <laughs> yeah. And what Ernie Ladd was making in professional wrestling dwarfed what he was making in the NFL. Because not only was Ernie Ladd uh, the, a, a draw, uh, especially as a heel, this was the first person that Andre could go head-to-head with. And in times, the only person Andre would go head-to-head with. Uh, before, there was a, a Hulk Hogan that kind of took over for Ernie Ladd as being Andre's go-to guy. Ernie was the one that Andre took on from everywhere from Los Angeles to Texas to Florida to the Superdome uh, to the Orange Bowl. And Ernie Ladd not only excelled as a wrestler, but as a booker. He had the the head the mind for the business of professional wrestling. So when he started booking territories uh, in the Mid-Atlantic and in Texas, the amount of money he was making as a wrestler and as a booker, he was making up for of, of six figures in the, uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, which would be equivalent to about $2 million now a year. A year. And that's a lot of years in wrestling. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a lot of years in wrestling. Uh, 
Ernie Ladd is the reason why Ted DiBiase became one of the greatest heels in professional wrestling history. Ernie Ladd was booking the territory in, in uh, 1983, 84, like I said, with the Midnight Express and Rock and Roll Express. And Junkyard Dog was his top draw, and Ted DiBiase was his number two babyface behind Dog. And meanwhile, DiBiase noticed that, you know, he'd be wrestling 25, 30-minute matches against guys like Dick Slater, you know, with Terry Taylor, Rick Flair, Dick Murdoch. And he'd look at Dog, who wrestled five minutes, shake his legs, and make all the money. And he knew that Ernie was looking for a heel to go along with Dog, because Ernie had been in that spot. He was the number one heel against Dog, and he brought in other guys like uh, a young one-man gang and an even younger King Kong Bundy, who uh, Lad first told he was dumbing himself out of position. But Ernie needed the top heel. And one day, Ted DiBiase knocked on his on his uh, hotel door after the matches. He said, Ernie, Ted said, I got you the number one heel. And Ernie goes, lay it on me. And Ted goes, you're looking at him. And Ernie just looked him up and down and said, yes, I am. <laughs> and the uh, loser leave town match between two best friends, Ted DiBiase and Junkyard Dog, that dog who was the best man at Ted DiBiase's wedding, uh, two the two biggest faces in Mid-South, had a great clean match until DiBiase fell out of the ring on four, uh, by a dog by accident. He went back in, his tights pulled out the leather glove, knocked Junkyard Dog out cold. That son of a bitch. Won the North American title. That means Junkyard Dog had to leave Mid-South. It was a loser league town match. Ted DiBiase turned heel and never looked back. And people that remember him for the Million Dollar Man, uh, nothing compared to his heel run in the Mid-South region. Ted DiBiase had to be snuck out of Grizzly Smith in the trunk of Grizzly Smith's car because of the uh, people that wanted to kill him during his Mid-South run. Even to the point where a sniper said, I'm going to shoot Ted DiBiase in the ring. And if I can't get you, I'm going to get Jim Cornette. And Cornette heard that, and when no one shot Ted during the match, and Cornette's bout was last, and this was against the Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll Express, and Jim Cornette would had to be in a cage suspended over the ring. He was in, not only in fear for his life because of the height, but because the sniper had a clear shot at him being in this cage, hiding high above the ring. But that was another match booked by Ernie Ladd, and... uh and put Mid-South Wrestling on the map. The amount of money they drew with Ernie in charge, with Junkyard Dog on top, with the Midnight Express, with the Rock and Roll Express, with Ted DiBiase, with Steve Dr. Death Wings, with Hacksaw Duggan, with Jake the Snake Roberts, with Butch Reed, the Samoans, all under his care. The Mid-South the Mid in 1984 was the top money-making one of the top money-making or territories in all of professional wrestling, save for world-class. Uh, but it wasn't just there. It was in Los Angeles. It was in Texas with Paul Bosch. He held titles all across the country as a booker, as a wrestler. Uh, and listening to his interviews, when he was, even when he was a face, he were, were just classic 
when he talked about and when he turned on Dusty Rhodes in Florida, uh, he and Dusty were were good friends, and Ernie came in as a face, and he was against Ivan Koloff and Buddy Wolf, and they attacked Dusty Rhodes outside the. They pulled him off the off the corner, and he ran his head into the post. So when Ernie Ladd needed a tag, Dusty Rhodes wasn't there. And to hear Ernie Ladd talk about the match and what you turn on Dusty Rhodes with Gordon Soley, say, "Well, Gordon Soley, I'm here. I'm I'm down on my legs. Uh, Ivan Koloff and Buddy Wolf have had their way with me, and I can't do anything. And I look up and I see Dusty Rhodes is not there. He's out on the, you know, he's out there on the floor signing autographs for all of his fans. And Gordon Soley, Ernie, the man is clearly on the ground bleeding to death. I, that's what you see, Gordon Soley. I saw Dusty Rhodes out in the in the crowd." Signed autographs, completely ignoring me, his tag team partner, his his good friend. So I had no recourse but to strike him when the next time I saw him. And he, and just and he, after the bout, Dusty was bleeding, on his knees, begging with Ernie Ladd, please, I'm sorry. You never saw Dusty Rose beg before. And Ernie Ladd just kicked him right in the mouth and started the heel turn and said, I had nothing to do with what Dusty Rose uh, did to me. Uh, I have no recourse, but uh, I uh, that's what I had to do. And then they brought Dusty Rhodes out. He gave this impassioned skit. Very lad! What did this mean? Lower than a dog! And Ernie came out. He put a uh, his white T-shirt on a stick, and he came out and said, I want to tell everyone, to tell all the people, I apologize to Dirty Rhodes. The Dirty Rhodes, I'm so sorry for what Dirty I did to you. He, he kept on, he never called him Dusty, he called him Dirty Rhodes. Uh, the, the people know how much I care about Dirty Rhodes. And even though he was telling the people how much he loved Dirty Rhodes, he was saying, shut up, I'm trying to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> the Dirty Rhodes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for what I did to you. But yes, his, 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 the way he talked, Dirty Rhodes, Andre the Wahoo, the drunken Indian. Um, Fat Dosso. Fat Dosso. Monday, a fat piece of shit. Monday, a fat piece of shit. We bring guys in to get you over, and what do you do? You dumb yourself out of position. Dumb yourself out of position. You dumb yourself out of position. Dirty Rose was such an awesome insult. Can you please... uh, Actually, I have a question. I need you to please tell me the story about him and and the Briscoes. And also, did Ernie use... How do I how do I ask this? Did Ernie use how he knew white people felt about African Americans in that area uh, to his advantage? When he would go up against another, which was rare, when he would go up against another black baby face, it could have been Thunderbolt Patterson or it could have been Rocky Johnson. In, uh, in depending on the territory, I believe it was where he went up against Rocky Johnson in Los Angeles and uh, Thunderbolt Patterson in Texas. And he goes, oh, well, he goes, you like it, don't you? Because they'll shine your shoes for you, won't they? They'll sing and dance for you, won't they? But I'm not that man, and every lad will never do anything like that. That's why you love your Thunderbolt Patterson, because of what he does for you. But Ernie Ladd ain't going to do nothing for you, but Ernie Ladd's going to do for himself. And Rocky, and Rocky Johnson, Rocky Johnson, you come out here, you're soul, man. You're singing and dancing and jiving, and that's what your folks like, don't you? Well, Ernie Ladd don't sing. Ernie Ladd don't dance. All Ernie Ladd knows how to do is to beat people up. And Rocky Johnson, I'm coming for you, boy. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, Amazing. but, he, yeah, he had the gift of gab, and he was 
I, I said before, um, when he started his football, eight years of football before he began wrestling full-time. So eight he was our, Hall of Fame years of football. Hall of Fame years of football at a high level in every team he played for. Uh, so he was already, of course, one of the strongest men in professional, in, in all, just in sports in general. Uh, in Florida, he uh, was, this is when he, he had a shoot with Dusty, but in, uh, in one of the book there, um, there was a, a discussion he had with Jack and Jerry Briscoe. <laughs> that started in the bar, uh, and that went south. Um, I don't believe it was about payoffs. It was because what er- the, the territories back then, kids, were um, you could stay in one place for a couple of months, but with Ernie and the way Ernie's schedule was, he could be the top heel in Florida, Georgia, and the WWF at the same time. As long as he made his dates, I, he has to be in Madison Square Garden on that Monday, uh, Georgia that Wednesday, Florida that Friday, and a weekend uh, either there. That, and so and he always made his, his engagements and he always made his books. Jack and Jerry Briscoe uh, wanted to talk to him about uh, either his – his uh his time there in Florida or where he was or when he will be back and where he was, was going to go. Ernie had control of the book in Florida and I guess Jack and Jerry Briscoe had a problem with the with how he was booking and him not being there full time. He was the number one heel in three different territories. They got into I again I don't know what started they and wrestling historians better than me could tell you the the full story because I got this from Florida uh reports and from a florida fan a friend of mine he got they were on it's one of those uh bars that were by the beach or by the water uh and i don't know how much alcohol was involved but ernie lad long story short too late uh got into a fight with the briscoe brothers both of them jack and jerry briscoe two of the greatest amateur wrestlers and legitimate shooters in wrestling history these guys are no joke but ernie lad not only physically beat them both, but threw both of them in the trunk of his car and drove off. Now, how you get the wherewithal, the strength, the fortitude, just the ability to get one Briscoe out, but to get both Briscoes, not only incapacitated, but to the point where you can throw them, he threw them both in the trunk of his car. The way I have to understand it, there was a chain involved. Okay. Uh, but still, it's still Ernie Ladd and a chain versus both Briscoes. I'm, 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 I'm going to guess, Dan, that one of the Briscoes had to have the chain to make it a fair fight. Yeah. Pretty, <laughs> but the best part of it was where he dropped them off. <laughs> he drove them to the hospital. Yes. <laughs> okay. They dropped them off. They dropped them off. I'll see you later. Ah, see you later. Bristol. That's amazing. Yeah, just one tough dude. And uh, I, I and I told you the story about um, when he uh, he had, he had a football career's worth of injury when he started yeah. wrestling. So a lot of his a lot of this stuff he took with him. Incredibly bad knees to the point where he could never straighten his left leg out. Again, and obviously the the thumb, the football injury of his thumb that he used to perfection for decades um, that he got playing football, even though he used it to win more than a share of matches. 
I told you already that was the first heel I ever saw um, when he was coming. To, I saw him at the Philadelphia Arena. Um, you first, old bastard. Yes. <laughs> that building was torn down the year I was born. That's yeah. how old it is. When I was there to see Ernie Ladd, and he had a his interview with a young Miss McMahon in his yellow jacket. He said, "I'm coming. When I come to Philadelphia, I want complete silence from everyone in Philadelphia. They gave me the respect I deserve." So of course I heard that, and he was walking down the aisle. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and he he just walked down the you know just you know saying, "Keep it down, keep it down." Had a jacket big ass that said hands, big ass arms. Yep. And the jacket that said promises, promises in the back. It had number ninety nine on his trunk. And he <laughs> pinned and he pinned Francisco Flores when he used the thumb and the referee wasn't looking and he pinned Francisco Flores with both legs on the top rope when he pinned him. Even though he was six nine, three hundred and twenty pounds, and the referee didn't see him with both legs on the top rope and we just went the place went nuts. I cannot see that. This big old six foot nine guy with both legs on the top rope pinning this man. You tell him. Yeah, I did. Tried to, couldn't do it. Uh, but uh, Ernie, um, and when he was in the mid south during the the last days, he was a Booker there. Uh, there was a fight in the locker room between Butch Reed and uh, Dick Murdoch, and Ooh. Ernie got in the Ooh, middle of it. I'd pay money to see that. Yeah, uh, and he got in the middle of it, but one of his knee his knees went out. And he was so he was sitting on his ass, and he couldn't do anything. But then he looked down, and he saw us in the locker room. He said, "Tony Atlas, separate these two and help me up. And I don't care which one you do first. And another great story. He when uh, Doctor, I told you that all the great talent he had under him when he was um, booking with uh, Doctor Death, Steve Williams, and. He had a match. It was um, it was Ernie and um, I think Ernie and One Man Gang against uh, Doctor Death and Hacksaw Duggan, and, and like Steve Williams was going like 100 miles an hour, and he kept he was he missed a spot, and he kept on you know just running you know he back then all he could do was tackle and just run through you and run around you, but he was missed he missed a spot, so Ernie just grabbed him and just put him in a corner, and would let him go. And this is young Dr. Death. This is young, full of, you know, this is, you know, yeah. Dr. Death was no joke either. But he couldn't get out of that corner, and Ernie wouldn't let him out. And Ernie just said, I'm going to stand there until I learn you something, boy. <laughs> I love when somebody says that. I'm going to learn you. <laughs> yeah, he said, yeah, another Ernieism said, you got to ring your brain out. <laughs> you got too much in there, you got to ring your brain out. Start put some new stuff in there. I tell you, my first exposure to Ernie Ladd was on the uh, Tony Off Air. It was the uh, that WrestleMania kind of work shoot documentary that came out around mm-hmm. fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, WrestleMania fourteen or fifteen when it came out, and um, mm-hmm. that's the first that I remember. You know, I'd seen him referenced here and there, and he made appearances right. here and there when I was a kid, but mm-hmm. uh, I just. Even that, even the work shoot haphazard, half-assed interview, it was still the cat. Yeah, you know, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. It's because that's what I took away from that is, and this I need to know more about this guy. And then you know, the years of the internet building up, and mm-hmm. what a good time to be a wrestling fan or a fan of anything. Yeah, in that generation, before the computers and being alive, as computers and the internet rises, is you could find out all these things you didn't know. 
and you start finding out, and then the network comes out and you catch up. It's just Ernie Ladd was so goddamn good. <laughs> he, he, he was, and such a great heel, and, in a good know, way. I mean, in a good way, and you know, and and starting his career when he started taking off in the late sixties. You know, this is the height of the civil rights era. Um, black people in general weren't always seen as as you know in the, in the most positive light, but he. Uh, excelled as a heel and never used that part, never played the race card in that respect, you know, to get booed. He just wanted to be, uh, he just wanted to be disliked by the fans, whether it was doing something behind the referee's back or telling the fans to shut up or coming to the ring with a, if you watch the old uh, WWF Saturday morning shows, he would come to the ring with a cigar and, and do the whole squash match with the cigar in his mouth without putting it out. And he was part of the, the, the holy trinity of, of Bruno San Martino opponents that they would recycle every three months. It was him, Superstar, and, and Ivan Koloff that would come by that would that Bruno would feud with. And Stan Hansen even pointed out when he uh, had this unfortunate bout with Bruno San Martino when he uh, broke his neck, he said, well, I really felt bad for not just for Bruno, but was for Ernie Ladd and Ivan Koloff and Superstar because they were next in line for that for those runs with uh Bruno that they kinda had to be shelved uh for that. And uh Ernie never got another shot at Bruno uh before uh Bruno dropped the belt to Superstar eventually in the in seventy seven. But uh yeah he and he Ivan and the Superstar had the uh and every time Bruno and Ernie and Bruno sold out the garden every single time. Ernie and Andre sold out whatever arena they were at every single time. Uh, Ernie was instant box office. Uh, Ernie was gold on the mic. Ernie was no jokes in a real fight. Uh, he was Apparently. a <laughs> he was a, a seven feet. He was uh, a mile tall and a mile wide and all man. He was just uh, uh, all a mile wide. I need that that movie yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we talk about wrestlers that could be movies or movies that should be made of certain wrestlers or any lad is, it just even even if it's just even if it's just for the quotes, um, and we talked about you know we've talked about Young Rock, but when Rocky Johnson made his acting debut on that '70s show playing his dad, it was Ernie Ladd who play, who was his manager in that episode of that '70s show. I don't remember that. I'd have Go to back, look that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah Rocky, and then this is back when that. Raw got really big, and he was on the cover of, of TV Guide. Yeah. But when uh, Rocky Johnson, when The Rock was on that '70s show playing his dad, because that was when the gang went to go see wrestling. Uh, his his manager was Ernie Ladd, so Ernie Ladd's TV. Well, who else are you gonna get to play Rocky Johnson? Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, but Rocky even had to put on the mustache and put on the outfit. <laughs> yeah. He kind of does look like him, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got that, yeah. He certainly does, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. No, he looks a lot like him. Well, of course, yeah. he's his son, but hey, I, I, just, I would hope so. I meant in that era, you know what I meant. Yeah, I know, in that era, he had the 70s himself. But, but yeah, Ernie Ladd played as his, uh, his manager in that episode. Wow. But, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Ernie Ladd, uh, we, we lost him. Uh, 14 years ago today, after a three-year bout with, uh, yes, with cancer. there is. Ernie Ladd had the big fro on too. Yeah, yeah. Ah, Ernie Ladd, man. Ah. Yeah. I'll talk yeah. about that dude all day. 
Yeah, and so uh, uh, listeners, please check out any Ernie Ladd clips on YouTube. Check out the Dusty Rhodes clip when he uh, when he turned on Dusty in the interview he did with Gordon Soley, calling him Dirty Rhodes. The GM Spectre just said, I always love discovering classic gems. Just <laughs> search Ernie Ladd, Dusty yeah. Rhodes, turning. Exactly. Get Dirty Rose, I'm trying yeah. to apologize. I'm, I'm trying to apologize to Dirty Rose. Just shut uh, up. Yeah, he, but he had had an undershirt on a stick. That that was his white flag to uh, to tell folks. All the if you can find the Ernie Ladd versus Ricky Steamboat, uh, they had a great feud in the uh, in the Mid Atlantic area. Um, and uh, and he was just, but he was a guy, you know. Uh, I believe it was um, uh, Bruce Pritchard or somebody was asked. Um, uh, him and, and Jim Cornette about why there were no black world champions. And, you know, of course, the name Ernie Ladd came up. Uh, and it was simple. Ernie Ladd made, w- would have made more, was making more money as a booker and a performer at the same time in multi, multiple different territories than he would uh, being the NWA champion. And so there was no concerted effort to not make him NWA champion, but the NWA champion had a specific schedule and, you know, he had to, he could be heel here and be a face here, and the, the his schedule, the NWA champion schedule, was even more hectic than being, you know, a Booker in the territory. As a Booker, Ernie Ladd could write his own ticket, and he could can. Ernie you know, was no dummy. No, and that's yeah, he was done. And yeah, and that's what made him such a unique character, Dan, because you're coming from football into professional wrestling, and you're starting from the ground up. But not only did he excel in the ring, but he also knew the ins and outs of the business and he picked that up like that to the point where he was booking territories when he'd only been in wrestling for about eight years and he was already booking major territories like Florida and Georgia and uh and the Mid-South and he would be responsible for the biggest surge in mid the biggest money-making year in Mid-South history which was in, in 84 coincidentally the same year that the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express wrestled each other for the first time. And we come full circle. Beautiful. That's called a callback, folks. Callback. Yes. And that, gentlemen and ladies, is the Wrestling Historian. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Lagons, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Follow me on all social media platforms at DanLaw83. Listen to the podcast at VOCNation.com. Watch it live if you're not already here at twitch.tv slash DanLaw83. Watch it later at youtube.com slash DanLaw83 or on your smartphone, on your podcast app, or on Spotify. Type in VOC Nation Radio Network and listen to it there. Four. And don't dumb yourself out of position. Don't dumb yourself out of position. No. <laughs> GM Spectre, it's always a pleasure to have you here. Danny, everybody. We're not twit- – uh, we're going to keep it up live while we chat after, but this is the end of the episode, so we will say goodbye. HIC Talk Radio on all social media platforms as well. For Craig McGonz, the wrestling historian, the original. I'm the above average comedian, Dan Calchico, the original. We'll see you next time. Have a good night.
This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to VOC Nation Worldwide. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts also include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Works, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. Both shows take callers live during the show, and recent guests have included General Adnan, Tito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, Danger Sandy Davis, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Brodus Clay, and so many more. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter, at VOC Nation. Hola, this is your amiga, Shelly from Cali. To let you know, you can catch me here on VOC Nation for Shelly Live. You never know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I let you on in the cheese mess, spill a little tea. Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation radio network. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation radio network.